Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Dr. Dark After Dark. So did a Twitter poll and actually quite overwhelming choice was to talk through investing mistakes. So I have made all of these mistakes. Uh, I think anyone who's been investing long enough will have made all the mistakes. <laughs> and for those who are experienced investors, this may all seem very obvious. If so, uh, I apologise. Maybe this episode isn't for you. But I did have a lot of feedback from people who are younger um, and, you know, have actually come into this, my podcast via various different ways. Maybe they've come from cryptocurrency originally. Um, and some obviously have always been in the fintech community, some from one uh, who I know from being an entrepreneur. So very different uh, schools of thought. So this is going to be pretty generic and I'll try and give as many examples as possible. Um, and I think very important is always to ask yourself, uh, you know, trading is an emotional thing. So a lot of the learnings are going to be about how you check your emotions and how you pattern recognize. Um, so I used to do a thing called blind wine tasting and I was really good at it. Um, I don't know why. And then I realized why, because I could pattern recognize smells. I just could smell a wine and tell you what it was. Uh, where it's from and the grape, not the exact vineyard or anything. Um, because my brain just recognized this pattern. doesn't mean I can tell you exactly what it smelt of. Um, and that's subjective anyway. So I've written down eight things. Let's just go through them. There's many more out there. I don't want this to be too long. So first one is, I'm just going to call it guru trades. Uh, we've all seen these. Okay, so there's, whether it's, CNBC or someone you saw on YouTube or uh, someone of a million Twitter followers or whatever it might be, there are gurus everywhere. Um, most, some of them have run other people's money, which you'll hear abbreviated to OPM. So for example, you know, I was one of the people who helped start and set up Atomico in Europe, which has raised way north of a billion US dollars. So yeah, it'd be and again, it's never one person that does these things, but have raised over a billion dollars of other people's money. Um, and a lot of the gurus out there have not. Now, the what, and the reason I, I mention that is, if 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 you've run other other people's money, then um, you have a, you absolutely have to look at the world a little differently. You can be very cavalier in Yahoo with your own personal account. Um, but those kind of gurus who you see online, who frankly are media personalities a lot of the time, they're just chucking out whatever comes into their head and they don't care and they have no consequence if they get it wrong. So be very um, aware of these. Now, also an another interesting, more subtle point on this, and I've seen this quite a lot, and I'll talk through one trade I did that ultimately was successful, but I did not fully understand it when I made it. So um, there's a, the, the world's largest options market is called the Euro dollar market. And this is the most liquid options market. It's got nothing to do with the Euro currency. It's got everything to do with LIBOR, except it's often talked about that it's to do with US rates. Well, I, and how it works is that it, it basically a Euro dollar contract is, uh, if, 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 LIBOR was zero, It's a hundred, the euro dollar is, futures contract is priced at 100 minus LIBOR. 
it's a little subtlety to that in terms of how it's calculated throughout each month, but let's just say it's that simple. So if rates are, if libels are 1%, they're at 99. Um, and except it got talked about a lot online about a, a year ago. Uh, I think Raoul Powell was one of the popularizers of it, but, but other people too. Um, and quite a lot, you know, it was, there were quite a few videos in Real Vision about it. And it was always talked about being a US rate trade. Well, it's not. It's a LIBOR trade. LIBOR is not the same. And I suddenly got wind of this. It was Alex Gurevich, who uh, he's at Honti Capital. And he's like, yeah, I fully agree. Like the short end of the curve is going to go to zero if recession comes. But Eurodollar is the wrong instrument. And he said that because he was well aware that he had LIBOR risk in there. So what happened? Um, and of course, a lot of the time you don't realize these things until... Um, you're actually in the moment. And so what happened when the Fed cut rates in effect to zero, everyone was sitting there, well, why are the euro dollars not at 100? They were at 99 and a half, basically, 99.5, 99.6. And by the way, if you have cool options, that's a massive difference between 99.5 and, and 100. They'll get you an extra several X on your investment if you went in at, say, 0.1 for a cool option. Um, and it was just because LIBOR was spiking. But it's not as simple as LIBOR. Because this was a futures contract for, say, let's say it was December 2020. It was a popular one. Um, well, there is no... Well, the daily LIBOR, the, the LIBOR that you get, uh, that you hear about on the TV or whatever sometimes, it is basically is normally the three-month LIBOR. Uh, and that might have spiked. So you, you go and try and find you know, good data for what's implied LIBOR for December 2020. Well... You, there's one way to, that I know to do it, which is to look at um, the actual U.S. rates futures contract, which um, which is uh, what, it's not ZF. I can't remember what it is, um, and um, ZQ maybe, and um, and then you can look at the, the difference between that and the uh, euro dollar one, which is GC, um, and then you can work out the implied libel. Um, and and the, the thing is, you couldn't trade, you couldn't buy calls in the um, U.S. Uh, futures rate contract because it's not very liquid. It's very illiquid. Um, but there would have been other ways to play it, of course. Um, and I'm assuming here pe people that can't put on tons of leverage on something. Uh, Euro dollars, people will buy futures or sell futures with 100x leverage. Um, uh, but that is not a trade for uh, people who are not, in effect, well, institutionally trained, very sophisticated. So... Of course, what happened is, you know, I always thought Q2 was going to be the time where things were going to slow down. And then, of course, COVID came and it just sped it all up. Um, and, of course, this uh, rates did go to zero. Uh, this trade did pay out. Um, not as much as I thought because I hadn't fully appreciated the liable aspect. And actually, I used Twitter as a hive mind. Um, and um, so uh, IZ, who's on uh, Twitter, he helped me uh, think through some of the stuff. And then I... Yeah, I realized it. And then I suddenly noticed lots of other people, because this trade was probably, a lot of people put the trade on that wouldn't normally put such a trade on because they got it from kind of some of the gurus out there. Um, and I went on a bit of an edge. I, I saw I, I, actually several people who I saw uh, just asking similar questions to me. And I kind of started messaging them and helping them through to understand, you know, 
what really trade they were in. Because my point to them was like, look, unless you want to do a LIBOR trade, you should just sell now. Um, because you, the rate, rates are at zero. Like, unless you even think they're going to go massively negative or LIBOR is going to come way down, you, you've maxed out on it, kind of period. So guru trades, it's all about, first of all, do they have any skin in the game? Have there any consequences if they're wrong? Um, be very wary of them. Uh, but also, if there's a trade that is a little more uh, complex or out of your uh, zone of experience, do your research on it. You don't need to rush it. It's always You always think you have to make the... It's emotions, right? You think, oh, I've got to make the trade now. Well, you don't. By the way, whenever you make a trade, it's basically 50-50 whether the next day it's going to go against you or for you, right? Like, pretty much. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, yes, sure, now and again something goes for you and never goes against you. But you know, remember, whenever you make a trade, the market's decided that's the price. It's broadly 50-50 that the next day it will go for or against you. So number two is people overcommitting. This is related to doubling down on losers or maybe indeed winners. Um, it's basically having too much allocation to a single asset. Um, I think there are exceptions to this. Uh, a very obvious one might be cash in the recent uh, events uh, or indeed something like short-term US treasuries, which is a proxy for cash. Um, and um, I think there are people in the who are very long gold who would argue that there are exceptions. Uh, there are certainly people who have made a lot of wealth in cryptocurrencies that would argue, well, Bitcoin should be you know, a massive percent of your net worth. Fine, but these are all exceptions. You know, in general... Um, if you're worrying too much about a trade when you're sleeping, you're overcommitted to it. Now, if you're long US dollar versus euro or short US dollar versus euro, it doesn't matter, with zero leverage and it's just pure currency, well, fine, that might go for or against you a few percent in a month or two. That doesn't really matter, right? Um, very different if you've bought an option on that. A short-term option on that that could literally be worth zero in like a day if it goes the wrong way pretty much zero um and so another thing i've seen especially on twitter is people that they and it's related to the guru trades they've they've heard someone say oh this is the trade and then they've gone and just put way too much on it so it's a very rough rule i like how keith mccullough uh, hedge thinks of this there's plenty of his videos out there that explain this but Broadly, he's looking at, you know, the largest allocations would be to currencies, uh, which includes gold as a currency. Um, so up to, say, 12% of portfolio on each currency. Um, and, and then he'll be even higher than that for US dollar because it's the reserve currency. It's kind of like a special case. Um, so maybe, say, up to 20% on that as a maximum, right? And then 10% on um, fixed income. And this is per position, Um and um, so that might be, you know, you might be in TLT, EDV, SHY. Well, that's three times 10, 30%. Now, of course, you could argue that EDV and ZROZ are very similar in terms of return profile. You know, TLT and or EDV are like, oh, there's VGLT. These are all long duration treasuries. So you know, I can make the argument they're basically correlated. But point being is it's just a framework. And then equities would be down at six percent. So not not individual equities, but actual um, factor exposures. So this could be XLK or XLF or low beta, high beta, whatever. Um, 
at maximum 6% per position. Um, and then um, commodities, maximum 4%. So those who are trading oil right now, right? So this is, the classic is the Robin Hoodie buying USO. It doesn't have any clue because of rule number one, or the mistake number one, which is not understanding the trade. They've no, they think USO is the oil price. Absolutely not. It was a hot... It was a complex mess of rolling futures contracts. It's been known for 20 years. This is an issue in times of major contango. Um, and there were, there's a lot of data out there to show there were a lot of people buying that and they couldn't understand why it was going down, especially when the price of oil looked like it was going up sometimes. And, um, and I guarantee you they were committing more than 4% of their capital into that. Um, and that's how you lose money fast. Um, and then individual equities or option strategies, one or two percent. So if you're sitting there with thirty percent of your portfolio in Amazon, as an example, maybe think twice about that. Um, you know, it's it's a great company. Don't get me wrong; it's a powerhouse. I would never bet against Amazon. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just you know, it's still an individual stock. It's volatile. Um, and options, I think, are where. Um, now and again, you might get just the setup and you want to allocate several percent to a certain strategy on options. Um, and I'm assuming here you're not basically uh, also, I'm assuming you're actually having to pay uh, for the options and um, you, you haven't worked out a way to make it zero carry or negative carry, i.e. all that means when people say carry, it's just a posh way of people saying, so they may have sold some, you know, puts or calls to fund them buying puts and calls elsewhere, right? Um, so one thing funds the other. Uh, of course, if you're in the business of selling puts and calls, you've got to know what you're doing. Uh, they can wreck you. And if you don't understand why, whatever you do, do not sell puts or calls. Um, but research it and learn from someone that, has, uh, you know, does it. Um, so over committing is, yeah, you know, I, I see that a lot. Um, and where it's really hard is, I mean, a really good example was was Bitcoin, right? Um, I mean, myself included and many other people weren't in that first wave of the tech geeks that were buying this at literally, you know, 10 cents, 50 cents, a dollar type of thing. There's a lot of us in that category of like around $200, uh, which was kind of broadly where I was bottoming out after the not not the 20,000 run, but the run up to 1,300. Um, and, um, well, Raul Powell's another one who said many times that was about when he first bought in. Um, and so that goes from 200 to 2,000 to 20,000 before you can say boo, pretty much. Um, suddenly that would have meant it was a gigantic percentage of so many people's portfolios. Now, some people did sell, some people bought, um, well, basically bought puts. It was really illiquid options market at the time and super expensive to do that. Um, but a lot of people did not sell. I mean, um, I think Raul has said he, he sold at 2,000 or so. So he made 10x, which is phenomenal, right? That's like, you know, in normal investing, it's very rare you make a 10x. Um, but it could have been 100x. Um and so it's, what's interesting is if you, yeah, and, and again, you could work out the sharp ratio of your portfolio or there's lots of ways you can do this, but if, if something has gone up that much, like 
and, and it could become 80, 90. In fact, some people in crypto, it was 100% of their portfolio. They didn't have anything else. Um, just diversifying that and reducing the risk is a smart thing to do. Yes, it might go to the moon to a million, but if it does, you're fine anyway. Next one is chasing highs. So, um, actually, sorry, before we go to that, the last one on, on the overcommitting, a lot of people end up overcommitting because they double down on losers. Um, now, I think there's a time to do this, which is if you maybe have a, a thesis you really like, the market just goes against you for a bit, which happens, right? Um, but your your confidence, you know, say you're 80% sure of your thesis, you may just want to buy more at a lower price. Um, but if it's something, you know, if it's a one-month option, one-month call option or put option, whatever trade, and it goes against you the first week, yeah, you're probably just throwing money away, probably. Might not be, but probably. So there's one thing to watch out. And I find if you just have limits and, and don't, you know, and just stick to them, it just gives discipline. So third one, chasing highs. Um, I think we all have heard buy low, sell high. <laughs> it's much more common people buy high, sell low, um, and as much as they probably won't like to admit it. Um, this is all due to obviously FOMO. The time, okay. Unless you're trying to technically time a breakout, you know, maybe there's like a really nice um, triangle pattern and, you know, with a flat top and yeah, it, something looks like it's getting higher lows and it's, yeah. And you think when it breaks, you're going to, it doesn't really matter what the price is, right? You're trading the technical chart. There, there, there are reasons when you might buy something when it's high. But broadly, you want to buy things when they've gone down because they're cheaper than they were the day before. And you want to sell things when they've gone up. And as someone explained to me once, they said it's like a, think of a hamburger, beef burger, whatever you want to call it. You don't need to get the 100% of a move. You want the meat in the middle. And let's say the meat is 60 to 70% of the move. But the buns either side, you know, the, whatever that is, um, 30 to 40%, um, in total, if you add both buns together, no one can time those. They just can't. And I'm talking about here big macro moves, like as in now the question is, when is the stock market bottomed? Therefore, when would you sell your bonds to buy stocks? Would be a very plausible macro trade. Um, and again, no one knows for sure. Now, there are obviously ways you can trade shorter term. Uh, I mean, I, I really do like the risk ranges from Hedgeye. Um, it's just, it's maths, right? I mean, you can, there are tools you can use to help you um, in short-term decision-making as well as medium and long-term. Well, long-term often is, you know, much more macro-themed. Um, but, and I think anything that tries to prevent you chasing highs is a good thing. Everyone knows when they're getting FOMO. Just, just, just don't make the trade. Fourth one is just greed and don't be piggy, someone said once. Like, um... And, you know, I saw this myself with Bitcoin. Um, well, not just Bitcoin. There was all sorts of alts in 2017 that went crazy, right? Um, I got out of a lot of them. 
not totally, but better than a lot of people, but again, not perfect. I saw greed change people completely in incredibly negative ways. They lost all forms of critical reasoning. They thought they were geniuses. They thought they could do no wrong. Um, this was, uh, and these were people who some were actually bizarrely experienced in investing. Some were not experienced at all. And so I, you know, fair enough. Um, but it literally changed people. And all they had to do was take some profits and they just didn't want to. Because it can go up another double, triple, whatever. Um, so, you know, the old adage, no one ever went bust taking profits is a good one. Someone said on Twitter they have that written on their monitor, which I think is fantastic. So, um, And again, you know if you're being greedy. So I, I kind of have a little bit of a rule. It's not a fixed rule, but like on... Um, if uh, options go my way, I might... Uh, if it doubles, I might sell half. Um, and then you can't lose money on it, right? The rest of it's free. Um, now, of course, that means that you might not be... If an option really goes your way, then especially based on the convexity and how it works, like i.e. the uh, the delta and the gamma there, you, you may well not be wanting to do that because if it keeps going away, it can very quickly be a 10x. Um, but, you know, part of it's just a bit of discipline in taking profits. All right, so the fifth one is the want or need to be right or correct. So this is a big one. Like, I, I see this a lot with... I know I'm a little guilty of this. I don't think massively. Um, because again, you also don't want to be flip-flopping. You know, you don't want to flip-flop a position 10 times. But people have a thesis and um, they want it to be right because everyone likes to be right. Um, but the market doesn't care. And if you've positioned, if you've sized your position appropriately, um, you may, um, you know, and you're aware of what the trade is, you understand it. You understand the liquidity it has. Uh, you, know, you understand silly things like, what time of day can you actually trade the instrument with liquidity? Because it vastly differs by security, vastly. Um, and if there's not liquidity, and it doesn't matter if you're not trading millions of dollars of it, right? You could just have a massive bid-ask spread, um, you know, but, the want or need to be right um, can often make people uh, for, basically makes people make bad bad decisions, um, and they can't just admit, "Well, you know what? I might be wrong," or you just are wrong, and that's fine. Move on. So I got the good bit of tip I got on this was, you know what? If you just sell something from your portfolio, as soon as it's off the screen forget about it you take the loss like a man and you move on it's amazing if it's staring you in the face all the time it kind of grates it can grate away at you and you know oh, but I still want that trade to be right um, now you shouldn't need it to be right because that means you've oversized and maybe once in 10 years you should be making a when you when a lot of confluence has happened and you're in you're at like the 95 plus percent level which i don't know if that's even ever possible on a trade i a trade on stuff that's traded in the market public market and markets can 
of course, misprice things by a lot. Um, you know, th there are times to supersize. But, but by the way, you could still be wrong on that one. So always, always be aware of that. Uh, okay, so number six is a rushed entry. So like I alluded to earlier, the day after you make a trade, it's pretty much 50-50 whether it's going to be up or down for you. Pretty much. And if it was down, that means you could have got it at a better price the next day. So let's just say half the time you can get it at a better price the next day. So it just illustrates that there's generally not a rush. Um, get it, If you think, again, it does depend on how many trades you do. So I do not trade that often. I don't even see this trading, it's investing. Uh, someone like Keith McCullough has, he says regularly on Hedgeye on the macro show, you know, he's making 80 trades a day. Um, right, that's a lot of trading. Now, if he's not, now, he will be using limit orders. He's gonna. He knows how to trade. We'll keep the spread tight. As you lose a lot of that, adds up a lot over the course of a year. If you're trading a lot, so if you're doing, if you're a day trader, or in any way, making a lot of trades, i.e., if you're making hundreds of trades a month, um, you've really, really, really got to consider what your entry is, because um, even losing tiny fractions, it adds up. Um, and you're doing it when you buy, you're doing it when you sell. Generally, if you're rushing to get into a trade, think twice, slow down. Just sleep on it. Yeah, the trade might not be as good for you tomorrow. Maybe it's better. But that's okay. There's always another trade. So. Or investment, or however you want to think of it. Okay, number seven, uh, lack of patience. So... This is an interesting one. So there's a few counterpoints here maybe to the whole want or need to be right. Um, but, you know, and again, some people, everyone trades differently. Some people are very much trading every day, intraday stuff, and they know at the end of every day how they've done. Uh, I'm pretty much the opposite to that. It's much more long-term. Um, and, and, and that's fine. But if, if you... so. Uh, there's a good Real Vision video with Raul and Hugh Hendry uh, from 1st of May where Hugh, who's an experienced investor, gets it bang on when he's like, look, I mean, we can all work out the the trade, but are we ready for the journey? It was something like that. And again, if you've, this will be most acute if you've, if you've not sized your trade appropriately and you're overexposed, the journey will be exponentially harder for you i.e. if you should really be at a 1% of your capital position in something and you're at a 10% capital position, it's not going to be 10 times harder for you. It's going to be 100 times harder or 1,000 times harder on your emotions. Right? It's, it's a non-linear relationship. Um, because these... Longer term, and when I say longer term, I'm not talking about 10-year trades, but I'm talking about like maybe six-month to two-year type of things. Like, you know, if you're thinking end of 18, interest rates probably peaked, Fed tightened too much. That was a, well, that trade's still working, by the way, but like in terms of the duration bonds, but it's kind of a, up to kind of a two, maybe even up to three-year type of thing. You need patience. Uh, it will go against you at times. And um, 
that might be time if you still believe in it to buy more. Um, which on the very first trade I mentioned, the euro dollar trade, I did do. Uh, actually, more than double, I tripled down on it because um, I, I could buy the options for I think three times less than I paid for originally, which by the way meant I was 67% down <laughs> on them, literally, um, on the original ones I bought. But as far as I could see, the trade was still absolutely valid and I was getting more confident in it um, uh, towards the end of uh, 19. So you're going to need patience. Um, and you know what? Sometimes it's just good to just go for a walk. Don't look at your screen. You know, you may or may not have open trades, fine, whatever. Um, you know, just do something different. I mean, right now it's not so easy to go on holiday, but like, um, patience is a virtue. And the eighth one, actually we've covered some of this already, but I, I, I wrote down wrong security. So for example, the example I gave before about Euro dollars has LIBOR risk in it. Um, if you're institution, you'll be able to hedge the LIBOR risk. If you're an individual, you won't be able to. Not easily anyway, if you want to make that trade. USO is a great example recently. I mean, it's a. It, I, I literally remember reading something almost 20 years ago about it. Maybe it was 15 years ago. I remember, you know, about, and this was probably when oil market was in contango in 08, or which it must have been at some point, right? And I was reading, ah, okay, it was mental note, which is don't touch this thing in volatile times because you can get wrecked on it, even if the underlying asset is going your way. But the underlying asset's a futures contract, not oil. Um, so, you know, it's all about doing your research. I'm trying to think of some other, you know, um, well, there's some hilarious ones, right? So Zoom, um, which we're all Zooming on calls, right? But it's, um, th I think the actual ticker Zoom is not them or something like that. And there's another company that had ZOOM um, or very similar, something like that. And actually, bizarrely, that company has done better because it's a small cap company that people were buying thinking it was Zoom and it wasn't Zoom. And it's done really well that now everyone knows Zoom. So that may be a happy ending for people, but like stuff like that, you know, just if if, if you're not exactly sure what the security is, um, do your research on it. And that includes things like not just what it is and where it's traded, but what, what's the liquidity profile? Um, you know, um, and what are the liquidity, you know, for example, on some options, you'll see certain round numbers have more liquidity. It's just human nature. Um, so maybe you're, you're going to get better pricing on that if it's a tight spread. Um, or maybe not, actually. It depends. So just do your research. It's all about getting the right entry. Um, and in... Um, yeah, so... Please, you know... It, I've never bought the wrong security. I know plenty of people that have. But I've definitely bought stuff that um, like we talked about that yeah I, I didn't actually fully appreciate everything that it was about. Um, and I'm not talking about like super speculative, you know, penny stock type things or alternative cryptocurrencies or whatever. 
that's just in effect kind of a form of gambling but um very good um so yeah look there's loads more i'm sure that people could uh come up with and talk about um i'd love to hear any feedback people have as i said at the beginning a lot of this is about emotion and i don't i i i'm just going to say some things people might not agree with but if you've got a in effect a job that pays all your bills and you've got in a like a pretty small nest egg that you're kind of investing fairly casually um yeah you, you know that's you're probably not going to have you shouldn't be getting that emotional about it i mean just to use numbers right you know so, so say if you were earning 100,000 a year and you'd saved up 50,000 and you lost 10% of that, well, that's $5,000. It it doesn't really matter. And you're young and you can just, it's fine. Um, now, if you're, if you've, let's say, been a successful entrepreneur and you've made 20 million bucks and, and literally you have that money, do you really, really probably don't want to be making trades that might lose, say, a quarter of it? Um, that would, pro even though, you know, it could make, Tens of millions of potential profit. Um, so, yeah, just the um, so parting thought is just don't underestimate the emotion of it all. And I, I find that if you size things right, um, you, it still feels good when it goes your way. If it goes against you, which trades do, um, I think someone told me Jim Simmons, who's is a 50 gets it right 51% of the time something crazy like that right i mean as in his algorithms and stuff now of course they're doing this like bazillion times but like the point is is like no one's batting at um you know 95% average on 50 50 trades it's absolutely impossible um you can have high batting averages if you um are doing incredibly low risk things but so I think if you get the sizing right, you'll probably have the emotional side uh, covered. Um, and and then if you're just don't be greedy, don't chase things. Be happy if you're wrong and then learn from why you're wrong and pattern recognize the next time. And be patient and get good entries. That's just technical, right? Buying and selling correctly, not just market ordering and getting wrecked on a spread. Which, fine, if you're buying, you know, XLK, the spread is not going to be very big. Um, but there are examples, especially out of hours. Remember, right, you know, and especially if you're not in the US, you might not be fully aware of exactly what the hours are. Be aware of exactly when markets are trading, especially if you're not living in the country. Um, you know, people listening to this are all over the world. So, um, okay. All right, we're going to leave it at that. Uh, and... I will uh, be back with uh, Dr. Stark after Dark number seven, which I think I'm going to do one on um, on physics. So I do have a PhD in it. So I think we'll go through some really cool stuff about the universe. Uh, totally different. Um, it doesn't all have to be about finance. All right. Thank you. Bye.